It's a, it's a privilege to be with you. I, I mean, you hear that a lot, but you don't know that, you know, your pastor, Bill Bradford, is, is one of the greatest pastors I know. And you probably know that. So he, he does a lot of pastoring of me. So he's my Monday morning quarterback guy, right? So Monday morning blues, after you're done preaching or hitting the road, uh, I always had friends I would connect with. And Bill was one of those guys and has been one of those guys. And so I want to thank you personally on behalf of the executive committee and a lot of church planters and a lot of families I serve that you allow him to really shepherd and pastor me. And he's been our chairman over the last maybe too long. Where are you? Yeah, like four years now. Uh, he's been laboring through COVID and a lot of other things with us. He's helped me think through how to serve in different capacities. Uh, he's given me more work than I can handle, so maybe that's your fault, Bill. But uh, I'm grateful for allowing for you allowing him to serve in that capacity as our chairman. And I'm very thankful for the time I had with your officers yesterday. Both Chris Folg and I were just you should be so encouraged as a church that your officers are praying and thinking and wrestling and struggling for God's will for you in Christ Jesus in this place and in this city. So it was such a great, encouraging day even yesterday. So I celebrate that with you, that you have people who love you, who want to pastor you, and who want to see the nations be glad even here uh, in Tupelo, even as I saw two uh, Indian ladies running down the road right before that meeting yesterday going, the nations are here and how will we reach them? You need to be encouraged that coming up in March, we'll have seven churches that have particularized in the last 11 years, and we have five active church plant works going on right now across four different presbyteries, and you've been a part of that. You've supported me as one of your missionaries, and I've been very encouraged to do that, and I wanted to encourage you that the, the fruit of your prayers and the giving has allowed us to do a lot of going and recruiting and assessing of many, many church planters. So. We need to keep praying because we, as we learned yesterday morning, the fields are ripe for harvest, right? There's always a lack of workers. So keep praying for the mission of God in the world, even through the Mid-South Church Planting Network. So tonight I thought I'd figure out just, I thought we'd focus on just this concept, right? If it's the end of the Lord's day, we're all a little tired. We're already gearing up. Maybe you're already lurching in your hearts and minds to tomorrow morning and all the things that are headed your way, but this text really gives us a sense of the hope we can have in finding rest. But rest, right, seems to be so very elusive, right? We, we have concepts or desires to have rest, and so we, we take vacations, and, and we go to those mountain places, oh, those beach places, and most often we come back from those places seeking solitude and rest. If I could only get there, you know how many of you spent all that money and you spent all that energy, and I, if we could just get there, we will find rest. And then most of the time we come back saying what? We need a vacation from a vacation. We found no rest. We spent thousands of dollars and we still don't feel very rested. Rest does seem to be so elusive in our lives, does it not? And what is rest supposed to really look like and, and feel like? Now, I think there are answers, I believe, in the text before us because rest is not found, right? It's not found in a place that we choose, but it's found in a person that God has given in his son. And Jesus comes in this text and it reminds us of even what happened in Isaiah chapter 9 when, when God told us that he was going to send forth a Messiah, this, this great Messiah who would come. And what do we learn? That the, the governments, that all the nations of the earth, the universe itself would what? Rest upon his shoulders. 
right? That's a picture here of Jesus' ministry to you and me even this evening. That this, this, this is a prayer of Jesus for the church and before his father, right? Specifically addressing his father. This prayer for us contains true intimacy and it also contains a humble invitation for weary disciples who desperately need rest. And in a profound way, Jesus, the Son of God, is pulling back, right? He's pulling back the veil to help us to see the very heart of our Father in heaven. He's helping us to see God's will for us in Jesus, that we would find rest in Him, and we would keep running to Him to find the rest that only He can provide for us. So let's take up this text in verse 25. I'll be reading from the NASB. Uh, version of the Bible. So beginning in verse 25, and at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to little infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light, says the Lord God. This is his word for us this evening, may he bless it to us and write it upon our hearts. Uh, Kathy and I were at a, a mission conference several years ago getting ready to enter the work of Mid-South Church Planning. So we were in Chattanooga seeing some good friends, actually mutual friends of, of Bill and Alan. As we were finishing up lunch, we headed out to the street. We met a homeless man. I met a homeless man yesterday too, right after uh, we had our time uh, right here in Tupelo. And we met this homeless man and he began to share the story, a little bit of his life, but he, he obviously was asking for help and resources. And of course, we, we didn't really have any, but I, I asked him, about his background and his story a little bit. So he began to share kind of the, the challenges and difficulties of his life and where he had been, even some of the churches he had been connected to in Chattanooga. And so he would go on to start telling the story of his own life. And, uh, you know, as a preacher, preachers are terrible listeners, by the way, right? We're just the worst. At least I'm the worst. And, and so he began telling the story. And I said, oh, so, so the story goes kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then he would start at another angle and I could, you know, trying to guess the end of his story. And he finally just got frustrated with me and he put his hand on my shoulder he said pastor if you will just listen I will tell you the story and I said yes sir let me hear the story and he began to share some beautiful things about how he knew Jesus and actually as we joined arms together on the streets of Chattanooga he offered up a prayer of of, of wonderful proportions of, of, of a pastoral prayer sort of for us and for his own life and I was surprised right by God's kindness the question really is for us this evening, are you listening? You know, we're a people, we, we are as a people the, in the PCA, we, we have the best preaching and teaching, I think, as I listen to so many gifted men across our denomination, 
just wonderful expositors and teachers of God's word. You have one, you have had one here, right here in this congregation, along with Jeremy. And so God has richly blessed us. And so 80% of all, you've probably heard this from Third Mill and others where Richard Pratt talks about, you know, 90% of all the Christian workers are in the U.S. and 90% of the need is around the world, right? So we, so we are, we are, we are fat people in a sense, spiritually obese people with all the gifts and privileges that you and I have. And I think what we, we come to often in this life is that we live amongst many experts and professionals. We can go to websites and we can see counselors, right? We go to the so-called wise men or look around for knowledge and wisdom. But here, Jesus is saying, right, in this passage, that he offers us divine knowledge and understanding. And the real question for us again this evening is, are you listening? And if so, Jesus gives us two things this evening for us to consider. He gives us a humble, he gives us an intimate hope, he gives us an intimate hope, and he gives us a humble invitation. So in those opening verses, Jesus does give us this intimate hope because he enters into prayer before his heavenly Father. And we see comfort in what Jesus prays in verses 25 to 26. We might even say that, that here Jesus prays relationally for the church and before his heavenly Father. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise, the intelligent, the educated, but you have revealed them to little children, right? Infants. You see, Jesus begins this prayer with gratitude. But in the context, as Jesus has been on the move and proclaiming the gospel, the kingdom of God, and doing the work of casting out demons and healing every kind of disease and sickness, he is, humanly speaking, getting squeezed in on every side. He's being accused of being a drunkard, a worker of Satan, right? A demon in many ways. His light, the the light he brings from his mission is being rejected by all those who come around him to see the work he is doing. He, He even casts aspersions and judgments in the earlier part of this chapter. And so it's almost for a moment, Jesus is finding rest for himself in his own mission before his heavenly father, for his people we call the church. It is here that Jesus comforts himself And he comforts us in prayer because of the infinite knowledge that he has of the Father's power and his authority at work in his life. And for you and me in Christ, that has been given to us as well. You see, in all of these things, Jesus celebrates a revealed kingdom received only by faith like little children. I love the language, right? Yes, Father, for such was your gracious and kind will that you revealed these things. We see comfort in what Jesus prays, but we also see communion in how Jesus prays. He goes on to say, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. Now that term handed over was used by religious leaders and teachers in regard to the law. They would hand over the law and his teaching to the people that they instructed. And of course we know in Rome, they. They were, that Jesus was handed over to the agents of Rome by the religious leaders, right? They handed him over to be crucified. Same language. But here, in this passage, the same language is being used to, to show a forth salvation. That all things have been handed over to him by the Father. All of his covenant people, the elect of God, the little ones that would come unto him by believing and trusting him and his heavenly Father. You see, Jesus receives from the Father all 
things and those things and those people who have been given over to him. And not only their salvation, but the whole earth belongs to the Lord Jesus. That's what he's celebrating in this prayer. And then there's this other phrase, right? No one knows. No one knows. And this describes the deep and intimate communion shared only with the Father and Son. But then strangely enough, right, he says, but then Jesus goes on to pray, anyone, anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. You see, Jesus is exclusively and sovereignly gracious. He is the Son who communes with the Father and with the family he has been given. All things have been handed over to him. And this, of course, is the family secret, right? It is, it is in and through and because of Jesus Christ that we move from, from the courtroom of God's justice and our justification to the living room, the family room of our adoption, that we become the family of God, where in the church we experience all the rights and privileges that he's entrusted to us in himself by faith. So we have to ask ourselves a lot of the chatter going on in the world. What are we really talking about in our living rooms and around our family tables? And are we even getting around our family tables? Are we even talking in our living rooms? But if we are, which I think is a challenge in this day and age, what are we talking about? Uh, Youth and students, are you still asking your parents questions? I know they look like the dumbest people on the face of the earth and they don't understand your world, but are you asking them about Jesus? Are you asking about what was it like for them to grow up in their day and age? I know they've told you what it was like and you know, you're never gonna be like us, right? You know, lording over their generation. But are we talking about the gospel? Are we talking about the good news? Are we wrestling with what it means to believe in Jesus around our family tables? Are we having gospel kinds of conversations? Because what are we talking about anyway? You could, there's only so much, I saw this, only so much Ole Miss football you could talk about or Mississippi State football. There's only so much you could talk about when it comes to all the things that we chat about. But those things are meaningless and frivolous for the most part. Are we talking about the things that God has handed to over to us in Christ by faith? Are we talking about the good news of the gospel Because it's the gospel, the good news, God's grace for us in Jesus that must be regularly upon our lips with one another. You see, here Christ gives us an intimate hope. And secondly, I want us to see this evening that Jesus gives us a humble invitation, a humble invitation. Notice that there is a a command for us to rest. It, It feels like invitation, but the Greek is very clear. It's a command. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, Jesus invites. And here Jesus prays with urgency, we might say, for the church. Urgency for you and me. Because the key to this this statement, right, is is the who. Who are the weary and heavy laden? Are you one of those people that Jesus has come from? Because only those who are weary and heavy laden need a Savior like Jesus who offers what? Exclusive and powerful an eternal rest in himself. I'm convinced of even looking at this passage again and, and preaching it again, that this may be the hardest thing for us to believe and apply to our lives as American Christians, to come to Jesus and to keep coming to him and asking him for help and sharing with him our needs and longing to be 
his church and to be the people who would find rest exclusively in him alone? Are you going to Jesus with your weariness and heavy burdens? Is the real calling upon our lives tonight? It's a command. Jesus also promises rest in himself today, this evening. What kind of rest are we talking about? Well, all kinds of rest. Cognitive rest, physical rest, spiritual rest, emotional rest is found alone in Jesus Christ because sin attacks all those areas, the way we think, the way we feel, the way we live. Jesus comes to offer hope and healing and restoration in every single area of those, every area of our lives in the way we think. You say, Jesus is our Sabbath rest. He is our hope. There is a man who gives us rest. There's a day in which he provides for you and me to have rest. I remember the church planters that I was, was coaching and encouraging during COVID. I think I've, I've told the executive committee in many churches, one of my, my great thanks, thanksgiving to the Father is that three church planters did not leave their church plants and they all were ready, <laughs> all ready to leave. But one of the church planters said, you know, Clint, it's just like, it's like God forced a, a, a sabbatical upon us. Like he made us cease and desist, like kaput. We had all these grand plans. We were trying to make efforts and we were finding new locations to, to start our church plant and our work. And it's like God said, no, sit down, be quiet, find rest in me alone. And I know a lot of my friends who I, I work with and raise money with and encourage in their other vocational ministries around the Mid-South, elders, deacons and friends, they were forced on a sabbatical too, and they weren't ready for it. <laughs> they, they weren't ready for the realities. They were going to have to stop being on the road, stop going to meetings, stop being successful, stop making crazy kinds of money, even though that still happened in COVID. God forced them back to their family tables. God forced them back to their living rooms. And you know what some of those stories became? Stories about those fathers actually leading their children to Christ. Actually being a disciple once again, because God forced a Sabbath rest into their lives. This is the great hope of the new covenant promise. The great shalom over the whole earth is that we will have rest that will last forever and ever. I love the language in Jeremiah 31, 25, where the Lord says, for I satisfy the weary ones and refresh everyone who languishes. The only question is, are you listening? There's a command for us to find rest. And lastly, there's a calling for us to live by mercy. Jesus says, it goes on to say, take my yoke upon you for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Right, this is a descriptive language. You can find this in Dane Ortland's book where he talks about this is, this is self-disclosure about who Jesus is, what he's really like. It's a rare description. What do we know about? He's gentle and lowly at heart both in, his, in view of his person and in view of his work. This Jesus came and encouraged his people to run to him, to find rest in him, and to take up this yoke upon them. Well, what is this yoke? It's the language that Jesus is using about discipleship. It's about instruction. It's about being teachable. By the way, I think that's the hardest thing in the Christian life, that fifth vow that we take in our membership vow, to practice the purity and peace of the church. That is so hard. Because that requires that we be teachable. And that's a gift of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is saying, I am like this. This yoke is nothing less than learned humility. 
which bears fruit in our lives as we follow Jesus into his mission. And this means also, right, that his mercy enables us to embrace our failures and the failures of those around us. What, are you kidding me? (laughs) I don't even want to deal with my failures, let alone the failures of those around me. But that's exactly why Jesus came, to take the yoke upon himself. Now, of course, that picture of right pulling things like an ox pulling a cart. God is pulling his church and leading them along. He's bearing the load. His shoulders are for the weary nations. The great news of this text, right, is that, that God is nothing like us. Not ever, not now, not in the future. He never thinks the way we do. Isaiah 58, 55, 55, 8 says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, uh, neither, are, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Now I just took that verse, and I've taught it before, right? The transcendent view of God, right? The mind of God. I'll never think like he does. But in thinking about the imminence of Jesus and him coming from heaven to earth, Jesus lives and loves a people, and he never thinks about you and me the way we think about ourselves and the way we think about others. How profound that is, right? That he's so different and so loving and so kind and compassionate and consistent and faithful. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. Praise the Lord, right? What else would he say for my, why else would he say for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Jesus is not like any other person you know. And when Jesus finally rested his shoulders upon the cross and death for you and me, he brought life. He poured out mercy with his blood. Should this not make us the most humble and hopeful people upon the earth? Isn't this why missions exist? So that you and I can find this yoke to be easy and burden and light, burden being light, as we take the good news of the gospel to all those around us. And finally, really in these verses, Christ's mercy produces a freedom, a freedom and a dependence upon him. He ties our souls to eternity is the picture here. Not just rest for today, not just a little bit of hope for tomorrow, but but rest for your souls forever, he is saying. Why else would Matthew 5 say, record of Jesus' words, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. It is only then that you and I would take up this yoke upon ourselves and learn mercy from the Lord Jesus Christ because blessed are the merciful. Another dear friend and mentor who's helped me along the way in my Christian experience for several, several, I guess a couple decades now, uh, heard me on the road. I actually remember him calling me and I was waiting for his call and I pulled over in a, a Home Depot parking lot in Horn Lake, Mississippi and he just, there was this, there was a quiet moment and I, I said a few things. Uh, he goes, how are you doing? And I, I blathered off some stuff, probably what Bill's heard a thousand times I'm running around. Verbal processors are hard people to be around. I'm sorry. I'm one of those people. And this dear brother finally just sort of stopped on the phone and he just said, how is your soul doing, brother? How is your soul doing? And I, I thought, well yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I think I had a quiet time. I, I think my soul was doing just fine. It's like I brushed my teeth, put on my shoes right, I think. 
it was just an unnerving question from a man who I deeply respect and who is a godly man. And when he asked me that question, it was so helpful because he was asking me a question so I might recalibrate my soul in the good news of Jesus and his gospel. I needed somebody to ask me that question. I just didn't know it, right? Isn't that our story as well? How is your soul doing this evening as you consider it? How is God at work in you? Have you found rest in Jesus Christ even this evening? As one campus minister friend who we know well and love, are you struggling to be free to find rest? Or are you free to struggle in Christ to find rest in Him alone? You see, this text invites us to ask this question of ourselves, to do the the deep dive diagnostic of our own soul, to consider our own soul care, we might say. He wants us to consider, this is Jesus who wants us to consider our spiritual lives, that our souls will last forever, forever. And whether you're a believer here this evening for many a decade in your life, or an unbeliever, whether you're running away from Christ or you're running or seeking after Jesus, Are you finding rest for your souls? Are you looking for that rest? Because as Augustine rightly said, as often quoted, we are restless until we find our rest. Our hearts are restless till they find their rest in God himself, right? There is nobody like Jesus who is gentle and lowly, and it is Christ himself who gives us this humble invitation. I close with this story and and celebrate your work in partnering with the UK partnership as well because I've learned a lot from those UK brothers. You sent a team over here there this past fall. And one of the books I read right out of the gates and starting the the church planting or taking my role in the church planting network was a book together for the city written by Neil Palson. And so he, uh, Neil Powell, and so he was talking about this this idea of the Dunkirk spirit, right? The, The story... In World War II, where we, we just need boats to get the sailors from one end to the island to another if we're going to rescue them, right? And you remember seeing the, the movie Dunkirk, and everybody's got some kind of different boat, and they rescue, amazingly rescue, hundreds of thousands of soldiers away from the enemy, uh, from, from Germany, trying to take them over and crush them and kill them. But the, the, the use of the, the Dunkirk story was being applied in a missional sense. He, he was simply saying, as of all the churches in England, who, that's a very post-Christian and secular world, we need all the boats we can, and we need boats that float. We need to work together for the sake and the goodness of the gospel, was his argument, right? And we've learned so much from those brothers. The way they're raising up church planters, the way they're recruiting and raising up the next generation of pastors, and the way they're creating incubation incubators that are allowing the future pastors to come through a process of church planting. We need as the church, as you think about this mission conference even, right, we need to recapture the Dunkirk spirit in light of the great commission before us. We need more boats that float, right? We need to work together. We need all Christians to invite people into the hope of Jesus Christ. He is this gentle and lowly Savior. He now reigns with ultimate power and prayer for us. And this passage offers hope and healing for all those who come to Jesus. With all of our burdens, with all the burdens of sin in this life, what Jesus is saying to you and me is that Jesus is shouldering the weary nations. And brothers and sisters, you are the weary nations. That's the good news of this text. 
The mission of God is to us and it's through us. And I want us to challenge us this evening. Would we humble ourselves once again in Christ? Will we intentionally put a few more people on our prayer list who we know are lost and without hope? Will we invite a few new people to dinner or even to this church once again? No, I've invited them a thousand times to come to Lawndale. We'll keep on trying. Keep on praying, inviting them to come hear the gospel preach. Invite them to a lunch. Show them hospitality. Show them that you have God as your Father. Our great hope, right, is that even this evening, our Heavenly Father welcomes us with His mercy and the very face of His own Son, Jesus Christ. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says this, which I think Paul is celebrating, somewhat of the, the Dunkirk spirit, right? Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear with one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The shoulders of the officers and of your pastors are just not strong enough. You know that, right? It takes more boats to float. It takes all of us working together. Your elders and your pastors, they are good men and they are strong in many days, but they do not have the shoulders of Jesus Christ. There's only his shoulders that we could lean upon. Your plans, your retirement are not substantial enough, and your life is not long enough to handle the burdens that, have, that are before you and that are in you. Only Jesus can handle those burdens. And this evening, the Father has sent the Son into the world to make disciples by placing our salvation, our very souls upon His mighty and strong shoulders. The only question is, are you listening? And if so, then once again you hear, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest even for yourselves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us your son, the promised rest, Emmanuel, God among us, the Sabbath longing that we have found to be our only hope in life and in death. Lord, would you renew the hope of the gospel in our souls that we might go out and make a great name for yourself, that you would use us to declare the wonders of your love and your mystery of your grace. Father, help us even this week to, to bring our burdens, our cares to you, the one who alone can shoulder them. We ask it in Jesus' name.